0: the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. None of the readings of Holy Week um, are comfortable. The readings of Holy Week are the ones that we like to avoid and the ones that we don't like to talk about from the Old Testament because they don't make us feel good. Um, there's no Um even though there, there is. Um, But it's a difficult week and it's on purpose. And the theme that I'm trying to maybe meditate a little bit on daily this this Pascha is the day of the the Lord, which you've heard being said over and over and over again. And just as a repetitive kind of functional model to understand the day of the Lord or the, the creation meeting its maker... If you think of, if somebody's trying to build a staircase, if they're building it to carry a certain amount of weight, but they skip steps, they forgot, they didn't read the instructions, it doesn't matter what the intention was, what the knowledge was, but they they didn't build it right. It's waiting for its confrontation with the lie of its wrong structure whether you gained weight, whether somebody came over that was heavier than you, five people went down the stairs, you were carrying furniture, there's a day where the test of that lie is manifested and the whole thing falls apart because it wasn't built right. Which suggests that there is a right in existence. Right? And that's why if you pay attention to the readings of the morning Paschas, there's a We're going through the whole story of our relationship with God to understand that we were created to be a particular way. And when we left that particular way, all went awry. And it was well and good in the the minds of men to live like there'd be no confrontation. But the incarnation of the Lord was this confrontation. It was the day of the Lord where humanity was coming face to face with its creator. And so the morning readings take us to creation. Tomorrow morning we're going to read the fall, right? We're going to read about the reboot, the control of the weeds, with the flood, right? And then we're going to read about still humanity was saying no, so God makes a covenant even though that's not what he wanted with one person, right? That his nation would become them and that we're waiting for the solution that would come. Today I want to focus on, on a subset of this day of the Lord, okay? Imagine if you started off as a happy family, everything was great, but then you have an eternal dispute. The family breaks apart, and you now have a long-distance relationship with one another. Everyone in the family has, has spread out. Some of you might have maintained your relationship with dad, but others went far away and wanted to have nothing to do with him. But it is not uncommon eventually if you want to live like those that are far away, where it looks better to live far away from Dad than to live with Dad. This is the struggle that many of us have. We've also spent such little time with Dad that we treat him like the thing of story. Dad just becomes a myth. It's something that we have in the background as, yeah, 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 a nice story. There's this thing that happened back in the day, but it's just a story. And this is why the Lord says to us in the prophecy of the first hour of this night, return to me and I'll return to you. And it's not because he's positioning or being stubborn. It's because he never left. We left. And he's saying, come back to me to be restored. But we'll come back to this theme. Today in the morning we were reading about the fig tree. And I want to meditate on the concept behind this fig tree to go through some meditations on, on the rest of today's reading. What was the lie of the fig tree? Some people get very upset. It explicitly says it wasn't the season. So why is Christ coming and telling the tree, Give me something? The issue is that the fig tree was pretentious, right? Pretentiousness, attempting to impress by looking greater or more important than it actually was. The fig tree was giving off this look as though it had fruit and it didn't. It had all the look as though it was in season. So when you walk up to it, you're expecting to be able to find this fruit because it looks like it's the time of fruit, but it wasn't. It was lying. There was actually nothing in this tree. This, present, this pretentiousness meets its day of the Lord, its reckoning, the moment when the staircase falls apart, when what it's claiming is confronted. If you're the person who acts like you know all about cars, and you keep on showing off and bringing up and boosting all your knowledge, and then your friend's car breaks down, and then they ask you for help. If you made it all up, You fall apart that moment imagine how you look when it's discovered you don't know what you're talking about pretentiousness is very dangerous and we see it in a lot of the readings and if you reflect i think we'll see that we see it a lot in ourselves now let's look at the ways that we are pretentious like the fig tree in church when we have this pretentiousness of righteousness. Looking more righteous than we actually are. And the group that was zoomed in on in today's reading, but they're not the only ones, and I think we all are one of these at heart, is the Pharisees. Right? I think the church is full of Pharisees, myself included. But these are the main group of people we might associate with with this pretentiousness. And we sometimes are pretentious about righteousness, pretending to be righteous, because we want to promote goodness. So the motive is not always wrong, right? motive is not always wrong, but the consequences are disastrous. The day of the Lord of Pretentiousness is disastrous. The Pharisees And one of the reasons it says don't be like the Pharisees from this morning who when they pray they do it publicly, when they give alms they give it publicly. The Pharisees gave alms so publicly that what they actually often did was they sewed money to the back of their clothes. So that if somebody needed money, they could just take it off of them. But of course when you've got money sewed to your back, you stand out because it's weird and because it makes noise. That everywhere they walk, everybody can hear the jingle of these very righteous, generous Pharisees. But what are the effects of pretentiousness? Especially when it's fake righteousness. It makes people stand offish. Right? On the one hand, it's good that some people got money, that's nice. But it made some people feel like they were the elite class. The Pharisees or the fake class. So, some might actually feel cold or aloof, distant to them. And people might dismiss these kinds of people as being fake and then say, So, why would I even go there? They're all fake. And people will be more attentive to their mistakes because of their assumed pretentiousness. When you act intentionally to be more righteous than you are, everybody's looking for your mistake. Now you've made everything under the microscope. These are the people at church that everyone is staring at, almost happy when they make a mistake to prove that their good works were fake. And the problem is not the good work. The problem is not the giving. The question is, is it fake? A person who's not pretentious has nothing to fear. The issue is when it's fake. And for others... So for some, they'll be scanned office. Others react to pretentiousness, making them feel incapable or inadequate. Imagine if another person looks at someone's pretentiousness and thinks that that's how they're supposed to be. If people start thinking, oh, I should be giving that much money, but I don't even have it. Or I should be giving that much time to the service like that super servant that everybody's talking about or I should memorize those verses, or I should be as good as that deacon. I'm using the jingling as an example, but we do it in real life all the time in different ways. Imagine if someone makes a big show of always being at liturgy 20 minutes before a Buddha. But there's another person who has a brand new baby and can't do that anymore. Did we put the standard on the person who goes 20 minutes early as now being the image of righteousness. And again, I'm not talking about the act, because again, the act might not be a wrong one, it might be an amazing one. I mean the pretentious act. The act of wanting to show, wanting to be seen, and presenting yourself like the fig tree, as plush and full and ready to be plucked when we're not. And the pretentiousness of the Pharisees was not just in the money, it's also in the words, like the prayer of the Pharisee that we didn't read tonight, thanking God that he's not like this sinner. When he was maybe not the same sinner as the guy he's pointing at, but he's a sinner. Pretentiousness of words is very dangerous. When you start proclaiming, especially when full of hot air, truths that you don't live, we damage people. Imagine if we tell someone that lost a child that it's sinful for them to be saddened because you pretentiously believe that you have reached the virtuous state of detachment where even death doesn't touch you. You might make this person either hate the God who expects them not to grieve, or feel completely distant and unworthy of Him because they feel they fell short. I saw this at a A'aza one time. Imagine if you speak about righteousness as though you attained it, you've reached it, such that you cause others to despair because they haven't. There's a famous story of Saint Macarius. It shows you this pretentiousness is for everyone, including the monks, especially the monks. Um, Where St. Macarius was sitting, doing his work, and he saw the devil passing by, heading towards someone, and when he came back, he was so happy. Macarius asked the devil why he was so happy. He's like, I love that monk. He's my best friend. He does everything I ask. Right? Every time I go, I feel so glad. So Macarius knows he has work to do, and he goes and visits that monk. And he says to the monk, how's everything going? The I'm by the grace of God and your prayers. I'm so well. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Right? This pretentious stuff that we do. Right? Put our heads down. And Saint McCarrius is like, Wow, you're lucky. I have so many warfares. <laughs> Sometimes I have lusts. And the other monk was like, yeah, me too." And he's like, yeah, when I have lust, what I do is, and gave him what he did. He was and like, sometimes I judge. And I was like, but when I do too. <laughs> right? And one by one, St. Michaelis draws out of him all these things. But why did this person not want to even own that he sins? Because of the pretentious environment. That we don't fall, we don't make mistakes. I'm not saying it's good to make mistakes, but we make them. Right? It's completely different to pretend like we do not. But more than just words, more than the specifics of pretentiousness, is the spirit of pretentiousness. What causes an entire community to fall apart. This is why Christ said, Jerusalem, 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 you kill the prophets. Right? It's like, it, it can't be that a prophet doesn't die except in Jerusalem. Right? It's the church that kills. Right? This is what the Lord was saying to them. And look at the results of this pretentiousness in the temple. Who are the people not allowed in the Old Testament church, whether legally or socially? Sinners. The normal people. Suddenly they were the ones that couldn't be where they most needed to be. If you were someone who didn't measure up to the perfection of the law and you weren't secretive about your not measuring up, in other words, you weren't being pretentious in the opposite direction. Basically, you had no place, so you left. This is what was meant in one of the prophecies we read tonight of saying, "They hate him who reproves at the gates." Right, of saying you reached a level where everything's so fake that when there's somebody standing in the church saying, Mesa you reach the point where you hate that guy. Because the whole system is fake. Right? I don't think this is that far or foreign to many of our feelings. When church becomes the one place a sinner can't go, then we know our collective pretentiousness has killed many. It's not a benign pretentiousness, it's malignous. It's malignant. And this is why Christ said to the Pharisees and to the lawyers, you lay burdens on the people too heavy to bear and you yourself don't lift a finger. They don't go in and neither do you. It's a very dire warning. Being right is different from being Pretentious. Pretentiousness is pretending to have what you don't have. And that can mean the virtue itself. But it also can mean you're pretending that the source of the thing is you. In other words, it's like pretending that dad's money is yours. Dad gave you an allowance and you act like you did something to get that money. This produces an effect where people think... They're supposed to please you in order to access the grace. This is especially dangerous in clergy and servants. It's dangerous in everybody, but it's especially dangerous in clergy and service, and hence why two readings of the morning prophecies were directed specifically at the priesthood of saying, how dare you do these things to my sheep? It's a scary and dire warning. If we pawn off dad stuff like it's ours to hand out, we make ourselves gods. It's the ultimate pretentiousness. If a person thinks that they can't come to church because of a bono or a servant, somehow we have conveyed that the source of grace and membership in the body is someone other than Christ. Yet our God, who is not being pretentious, was the complete opposite of all of this. He knew the hearts of those who fell short, and he knew the hearts of those who pretended. Who did he spend his time with? The commoners, the sinners, the poor, the marginalized, the widows, the orphans. And these people weren't afraid of sitting with Christ, unlike the Pharisees and the priests, because they weren't pretending. And because they weren't pretending, they were able to be in their own skin with God. And the result of their encounter in their own skin with God was not God saying, way to go, do wrong. He healed them. He changed them. Even when they were caught doing the most despicable of things. The woman caught in adultery She was caught red handed right? It's a very disturbing scene when you think about it, because somebody's walked in on someone's bedroom and torn them apart. It's very weird. And they drag this person to the feet of Christ and say, she's guilty, this is death penalty. And what does the encounter, what is the day of the Lord like for this woman? He acts as her defense. He tells them, whoever has not sinned, because they're being pretentious, can go ahead and cast the first stone. And when they walk away, he says, a woman, my lady, he elevates her, he gives her dignity. He says, where are your accusers? What is the Hebrew word for accuser? Satan. Where is your Satan? And then he says to her, and I am not your Satan. The encounter of the sinner with Christ is healing, not judgment. The encounter of the pretentious one is judgment. This is why in the first hour tonight it says, Seek the Lord and live. Want him? You'll find healing. And not being pretension, pretentious doesn't mean pretending to be sinful either. It's a different kind of pretentiousness. It doesn't mean hide when you do right, even. Right? The goal here is not to never do right and no one know that you did something right. That's not that's not pretentious. It's saying don't pretend. All of us are in need of healing. There are things we're gonna get right, and there are things that we're gonna not get right. And the Lord is saying, return to me, to the pretentious sinner and to the non pretentious sinner. The lie, the day of the Lord, will come when all pretentiousness will be exposed. But why? Why wait for that? Why live in fear? The truth is liberating. Return to him, and he will return to you. You don't know him. We don't know him. So we live this lie because we're away from him. We live away from him, and yet we pretend that we're not. We pretend we're his kids. We pretend to know him, we speak in his name, and we instruct and we push people and we direct, but our hearts don't know him. The heart of God is the heart of fire. It purges away all wrong and pretentiousness and turns us into living flame, living light as he is. A person who knows him, who's returned to him, knows the power of truth, knows the glory of being protected by his name instead of pretentiously operating in our own name as though we have any significance. Return to him, know him. Let us cast away from ourselves the lies, the images that we build in order to protect ourselves from public shame. But let us return to him and avoid everlasting shame. Come and taste and see that the Lord is love. The day of the Lord is this. He wants healing, but we want to be it. He wants to loose, and we prefer to bind. Return and see that even the day of the Lord, the exposure of the lie can be turned to salvation for all of us. Death to your lie becomes life in his truth. Let him resurrect you, give him your heart. Return to me, he says, because you came from me. I never left you. You left me. Stop putting your meaning in all of the estranged family members. Those family members also have their meaning in me, says the Lord. They just have turned from it. Return, turn around, repent, matanoia. Come home, find meaning in your true identity not in the pretentious life you're living. Come return to me and be secured in the source of all life, your king, your family, the source of your eternity. Return and find peace in his life-giving embrace from the cross. Return and experience his resurrection. To him be glory, now and always, and to the age of all ages.